One editor can't choose a favorite story. Another discusses regenerative agriculture and just what's up with farm technology for 2021 and beyond. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. We're highlighting some of our favorite stories and topics from 2020. This time out, Shelley Hughley with Southwest Farm Press refuses to be held to just one of her favorites. And what she shares is fun, informative, and heartfelt. For Jennifer Keel, American agriculturist, a random Facebook question about pumpkins turned into a cover feature about regenerative agriculture. Jen notes that a key part of that discussion for rebuilding farm soil should always include one other topic. It must profit the farmer. And Tom Beckman, Indiana Prairie Farmer, talks tech. Tom got a chance to do something a lot of farmers wish they could have, spend quality time with new tools introduced in 2020. He shares some of his thoughts on the topic, and he also offers some insight into university research for the new year. Let's start out with Shelley Hughley. Shelley, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Good morning and Happy New Year. Well, thank you. And I hope it is after 2020. So you've had a a fascinating year in your part of the country down in Texas, uh, covering for Southwest Farm Press. What was the highlight for you? Or talk to me about some of the highlights for you in 2020. You know, I, I teased you earlier that we were supposed to talk about one. And if if anybody knows me at all, they know that that I rarely narrow life down to one thing. And that includes my favorite story for 2020. I, I have so many. And so what I did is I kind of broke it into three different categories. And so the first one is unexpected stories. And I think that's one of my favorites. Uh, when I go for one story and I stumble onto another. And so that happened a couple of times. Uh, I was in the Rolling Plains in July. It was a bazillion degrees. And I had started out on a farm talking with former Cotton Board Chairman Jeff Posey and his precious wife and talking to them about their year and how different it's been in 2020. And as I transitioned from their farm to Richard Guyona's, uh, they said, hey, we've got a young lady that's planning, uh, painting a mural, cotton mural downtown. Would you like to stop and meet her and talk to her? And so I said, absolutely. So I got to stop and visit with this young lady and see her beautiful mural. And she had, her name was Emily, and she had painted it in memory and in honor of her grandfather, but also painted the cotton because that's what surrounds her community, supports her community. And then the other side of that was I went to interview our peanut efficiency winners in Perry County, and they were digging peanuts. And the young lady uh, that's digging their peanuts, Hannah Harms, steps off the tractor to talk to me for a little bit. And she is bright-eyed, smiles, so enthusiastic about her job. And so I just looked at her and I said, can I interview you? And she said, absolutely. So I rode the tractor as she dug peanuts and got to hear her story. And it did really well on social media. And I say that because I think people were anxious for some good news for uh, somebody that's excited about what they're doing and passionate about their their job. And so I love unexpected 
story. And you found some great ones and told them. It was really cool. And it's so neat. That I think you, the cool thing about the unexpected story is that agriculture and the country, there are so many stories to tell. And the neat thing is they'll tell them. They're not going to hide. They're, everybody wants to tell their story um, because they know that if they tell their story, people listen. And that's really cool. So those are great stories. Uh, the unexpected is always fun. That's part of the fun part of our job. But how was harvest this year for you guys? That's probably one of my favorites also. Uh, we we were thankful, as many were, to to get 2020 behind us, harvested and behind us. It's on the Texas High Plains, South Plains. It's been a very dry year. And so we were just thankful to, to bring harvest to a close. But I, I had the privilege of getting to attend several different harvests. So everything from corn, sorghum, cotton, wheat, sunflowers, peanuts, black-eyed peas. And these producers would just let me jump in the cab, the combine, the cotton stripper and just ride along with them and and hear about their season and that would have to be a second favorite of mine and again if you know me at all you know how much I love photography so I not only got to ride and be in the midst of harvest but I also got to photograph it which is is a passion of mine and and made galleries from them so so that's always exciting and and I appreciate them taking time to let me be a part of that because I being married to a farmer, I also know how intense and busy that time is. So it it was a good a good season. You know, though, I have a question about that because I really enjoy uh, uh, I will call it this a good training seat ride in a combine. Um, I call it the buddy seat, but legal at most major companies require that I say it's a training seat. Anyway, <laughs> that training seat ride in the in the in the cab. I really enjoy that. It's like, I think it's a break too, don't you think? I mean, they get to talk to somebody else and I learn things. We just, for a while there, you're sitting there and you're so close. You're just watching the corn or the, the you're watching that thing chew through a crop and it's a little bit monotonous. And yet now you've got somebody in the cab to talk to and you as a journalist are talking to them. I think you learn things you wouldn't learn if you were sitting at a table or doing a formal interview, if you know what I mean. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. I think it's like anything when you're standing on the outside, your perspective and maybe your conversation is going to be different when you're standing in the middle of it. And I think when we're in the combine, we're in the middle of it. They're they're in the moment. They're they're not talking about how it went. They're talking about how it is. And I, I just think that adds a lot to it. It's fun. I do enjoy that. I don't get to do it enough, but maybe that's my plan for 2021 is to get my sorry carcass out of the office and get into a few combine cabs. Well, we definitely had to do some reschedule, you know, rescheduling. That's the thing with harvest. You just it's all dependent on the weather. But we we got it done. And I just I'm grateful for those producers letting me come and be a part. So it was good. And I want to thank them, too, for letting you in the cab, because I think that that really makes a difference for all of our farm press readers and farm progress readers across the board. So we've covered two things. You said there were three. What's the third thing about 2020 for you? So I, the third one is probably the most heartfelt story of 2020. And I I break up talking about it. Um, yeah. <clears throat> in November, I got to attend the final harvest for Tony Dill, and Tony Dill is a producer, cotton and peanut producer in Terry County, and he passed away towards the end of October of COVID-19, and 
when he passed away, he still had a peanut and cotton crop. And so the Terry County community came behind and came along and harvested his peanuts. And then the day that I met his precious family was the day that they were harvesting his cotton. And they had 20 cotton strippers out there, farmers, their their employees, their equipment, and knocked out about 1,200 acres in one day. And uh, his daughter Erica and son Ryan uh, were gracious enough to just talk to me about what it was like to to see the community step in and then talk about their dad and what he meant to them. And Ryan will continue to farm and Erica's uh, husband farms. So uh, his he will be remembered and and it was just a privilege to get to visit with them. And a couple of days after that, I got to visit with Tony's wife and uh, her name's Donna. And she just shared some real personal things with me about Tony and just beyond what a good farmer he is, but his heart, his servant's heart and uh how much he loved to give and she gave the example she said one of the last the last two checks he wrote before he passed away were one was to a political organization and then the other one was to help pay medical bills and for somebody and it just made me also really reflect on you know we talk a lot about our firsts but what will what will my lasts reflect about my life uh, my last checks, uh, my last uh, Google searches, my last, <laughs> you know, what will my kids remember the last thing about me? And I don't know, it just just gives you something to think about. But I, more than anything, it just uh, blessed me to get to witness this harvest and this community just surround this family. And, you know, Ryan said, people are thinking of things that haven't even crossed my mind because they're so overwhelmed with, yeah. with all that's happening. And I just thought that's, that's what we do as family and friends. And as a community, we, um, we just step in and, and uh, help each other through stuff like that. So that would be my. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, I, and I, we need to remember all that. I mean, that's the, the kind of a thing about agriculture is that we are there for each other. Um, Absolutely. It doesn't always feel that way when you're trying to rent a piece of ground out from under somebody. But <laughs> at the end of the day, when something really bad happens, we're there. And I think that that's really that still is the fabric of farming. And it's still out there. And you told that so well. And it's a great story. And we really appreciate it. And, and I hear it in your voice. These things do affect us. We try to be objective. And we are objective in the way we write, but these things touch us in different ways, and we appreciate all of that. Okay. Shelly, it's been a pleasure talking to you about your 2020. You had a fantastic one. I wish for you an even greater 2021, and I really appreciate your help. Thank you very much, and have a superb day, and stay safe. Thanks. Happy New Year, and I look forward to, to meeting producers in 2021 on the turn row. At Farm Progress, we can be touched by the stories we cover, and sometimes it's hard to pick just one favorite. We thank Shelley for her work and look forward to learning more from her in 2021. Next up, Jennifer Keel from American Agriculturist shares insights on regenerative agriculture, which started when she did a story about an innovative bison farmer in Michigan. But the concept is gaining steam among some big corporate players too. Well, Jen, welcome to Around Farm Progress. 
Willie. It's great to be here. Good to have you. And we're talking about a topic today that I think you covered in 2020, but I think it's going to be one we're all going to be kind of watching in 2021. It's regenerative agriculture. But how did you get into that? Um, that's a funny story. I actually didn't know much about regenerative agriculture until I was on Facebook and this young woman posted a, a post about wanting pumpkins for her hogs. And then she went on to say that she also has bison. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Maybe that could be a nice New Year's story. It was the January cover story. So I went out and saw her and she got into telling me how some of her farm practices, which again, was a new concept to me with regenerative agriculture. And so she started talking about some of the things that she's doing on her farm that go just a little bit farther than sustainability. And it's relatively a new idea or a concept, you might call it, but it's regenerative in the in the way that it's, in her words, not just maintaining degraded soil, but improving it and taking action to do that, but at the same time also keeping farm profitability front and center. What does that mean for her practices? Obviously, bison bring added nutrients to the soil, but what what does that mean for her? How is she recycling things? Or I guess that's not the right word, but being regenerative with the soil she's got. I think recycling is an okay word to use for that. Okay. She is, you know, part of the regenerative agriculture has an animal component to it, and that's what she's really capitalizing on. But she's also doing, um, you know, like uh, warm season grasses that have roots that go down really low. The idea of regenerative is like minimal di disturbance of the soil, you know, keeping your roots in the soil, keeping a cover crop of some kind, implementing diversity with not only crops, but your animals as well, and integrating livestock. And so she has, about six or seven years ago, she decided that she'd get into the bison business. She's a fourth generation farmer, but her dad is very conventional. So this was kind of breaking out. So she kind of dragged her mom along with her. <laughs> and she farms 300 acres of their dad's thousand acres. And she has started off with 15 bison that she purchased out of state. And the idea is for those to to keep the nutrients on the soil to help, you know, foot foot uh, disturbance of the soil from the animals. And then she also has other animals. She has what she calls the cleanup crew, which are chickens and ducks. And they come in with the bison. And she says none of them have been trampled. So animal activists, you're fine. Um, and they come in and they go through the, the manure, help spread the manure, and they eat the larvae and they eat mosquitoes, which also helps the bison. Well, we all know that free-range chickens do like bugs and poop. That's just the <laughs> way it works. But, but you know, that's kind of the way we used to farm. Yeah, it is. It's kind of going backwards a little bit, but in a way that really keeps dollars and cents really in the picture. It's not a pie-in-the-sky idea. It's really about making sure that the farmer's profitable as well. It's not, and it's also about, you know, you know, maintain good, good water quality, um, you know, carbon sequestration. That's going to be a big buzzword coming through. Yeah. With our new Just, administration, it will be a big deal. So if she's raising the bison, are they, is she raising them for meat? Is there, are, is there a cycle in the herd or is there just a different reason that they're there? No, she's raising them for meat. Um, her ideal is to eventually convert a dairy, uh, old dairy uh, barn into like an educational place as well as a store. She'd like to have her own processing on site. Right now, bison are considered exotic animals. So she's allowed to field kill. So she field, field kills the animals and then takes them uh, north to a processing plant 
and then comes back and sells the meat. So basically they treat them like deer. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that makes sense. So regenerative ag, you know, we talk about this. Um, you've had some other players in the market talking about this in 2022, right? I mean, there's more than just her bison. Right. Um, we're seeing some corporate players get involved with this. Um, in Michigan, we have General Mills that has started a uh, three dairy pilot project, which involves obviously three dairy farms, where they're going to go in and provide them with technical assistance um, using uh, understanding ag, which is a consultant agency, mm-hmm. as well as other extension and people to help them. But they're taking the kind of the risk out of it by General Mills paying for these practices to be implemented. And they, they're going in full aware that some of these are not going to work. Some will. So they're planning to share all their results and hopefully define what works for each farm. Yeah, General Mills is on a project with wheat out in Kansas doing a similar thing. So I guess that's part of this. If I'm going to engage these practices, I need to know if they're going to pay off. So someone like General Mills can help me cover that. That would be great. You know, it's nothing new here, but it's practices that are really designed to improve soil health, um, protect our water, um, uh store carbon. Those are all things, buzzwords that really people are talking about right now. But I think the big component that I'm hearing with regenerative agriculture is that it really still focuses on farm profitability. So they're not looking at just resilient crops that can, you know, maybe widen the planting window in the spring and the harvest opportunity in the fall, but also being economically resilient as a farmer that will impact them by being having those opportunities. Well, that makes sense. I mean, that's none of this is going to go anywhere if I can't make money on it. Exactly. I mean, that, that's the core of this. And sustainability is not just a, it, it is about maintaining soil. It is about maintaining uh, productivity, but it's also about maintaining profitability. Otherwise, I can't pass this farm on. And I always felt like a sixth generation or a fourth generation farm was in its own definition sustainable. But your goal, your, your talk about this with the, the uh, person you covered in January is that Regenerative means more than that uh, and and also brings profitability. And I think that's going to be an interesting concept And you bring in carbon sequestration. But it all comes back down to I'm not doing any of this stuff if you don't pay me for it or it doesn't put money in my pocket by doing it. Right. right. Yeah. yeah, they're looking some of these theories are looking at different forage blends, you know, different types of pasturing. Maybe, you know, with the dairy system, it's kind of hard to have unless you're set up for that initially. But, you know, you're you're. Lactating cows are going to be in the barn, but there's an opportunity to put your dry cows out in pasture. And they're looking at, you know, maybe no-till that they haven't done before or interseeding of corn. A lot of different practices that may or may not work for each individual farm. But by having the backing of General Mills there, they can try these practices out and not have a financial loss if it fails. Right. And that that helps because... If you get a little, any support like that, it'd be a really good deal. Um, eventually, we hope that the companies will decide to pay a premium is because of the value of that to the environment or society. Yeah, and General Mills is really a, you know, they consider themselves a farm-to-fork food company. So they're really concentrating on not only the health of the farmer, but also the well-being of the planet. And I think that's going to be a message that comes forward more often by these bigger companies that are directly aligned with the food industry. And, And, you know, this is all about building organic matter, too. That's, you know, a a big goal for a lot of farmers right now is they're really keeping an eye on their soil tests and doing. And part of General Mills is actually 
doing more advanced soil testing. So they're really looking in the biodiversity of, of everything that's in that soil. Part of this regenerative too is looking at, you know, trying to get to a level where you're using much less inputs. And, and that's part of the farm profitability side of it as well, that, you know, if you can cut some of your costs with some of these practices as well, that's another, uh, you know, the bump for farmers. As I say, I agree. I think it's really a holistic approach. And there's so many different components going on there that it's finding the right recipe for, you know, being a soil conservationist and still being a profitable farmer. Jen, I appreciate your time. It's been good to talk to you. Jen Keel with American Agriculturist covering in the Michigan, Ohio area and also helping the whole Northeast coverage. I appreciate your help on this and I'm looking forward to reading more about regenerative ag and what you learned from the General Mills Project. Thanks, Willie. Appreciate it. Thanks to Jen for her insight on an issue we're sure we'll be hearing more about in 2021, from regenerative agriculture to carbon sequestration, hopefully all with an eye toward profit on the farm. We wrap up this episode talking farm technology with Tom Beckman, Indiana Prairie Farmer. But as so often happens, we diverge a bit and discuss university research for 2021 too. Let's check in with Tom. So Tom, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Yes. Hello, Willie. So you and I have had a fun year this year. Um, we got to do something that a lot of farmers didn't get to do. We got to see a lot of technology because you and I were pretty up to our necks in the Farm Progress virtual experience. But what did you take out of 2020 when you looked at technology? Well, we did have, uh, I think we both had some unique experiences. I actually got to ride on some of the uh, newer combines. I didn't get to ride on the Deer X9. We did get to see it demonstrated however and it's a amazing machine uh very very expensive but amazing uh so our uh i did uh, also did a walk around with the uh, newest case model rode on the ideal uh actually it was an x9 uh with tracks and then also on the cloths uh cost the uh, lexion so um but a uh, lot of companies, I guess one thing I wanted to say today, Willie, was we we uh, still found a lot of new products, not as many as in the past, because we didn't uh, have the same format to captive audience to find them. I don't think companies brought out quite as many, but at the same time, uh, there were companies tweaking their line, adding some new things, and then there were some bringing out brand new technology like some of those bigger combines. Right. I think the interesting thing, you know, our job is to kind of scope out that stuff. You uh, run the new products group um, and you had myself this year for the first time in a while on your team, as well as Mindy Ward and Austin Keating. And they were all helping the track down. We all did a lot of uh, video interviews on the Farm Progress virtual experience that people can find if they go to farmprogressshow.com or huskerharvestdays.com. And in that, we produced over 120 videos with these small companies. Uh, I learned a lot about them. Is there anybody that stands out in some of those interviews that you did, those video interviews you did? Well, there's uh, there's several probably that we could talk about. Uh, that I think the thing that stood out to start with before I get to something specific, we still found over 140 new products. Normally <laughs> we'll find over 200, but I think that's considering the year and considering that we had to kind of, we found a lot of them when we were talking to some of the smaller companies. Uh, but 
there's still a lot of them out there. And I think one that stands out is probably one that you actually wrote about. I think you found did the work on. That's the uh, the uh, dot. Uh, autonomous spreader from uh, Raven, uh, and you may want to talk more about that. But we got to see that work at the uh, when we were at Boone, Iowa, at the, for the farm show. You were you and Austin were filming it, and uh, the sucker was running around the the open area of a partly shelled cornfield, and we lost you guys and a gator on the other end, and that thing came up on this end all on its own, I guess, to do the end rows. And uh, we didn't know where you are, and I'm not sure you knew where the where the uh, dot was. But <laughs> the thing definitely works, and I don't know, you know, what practicality you may have a better handle, but it's technology that's uh, definitely out there. And you and I both know there's more of that just around the corner. Well, and actually, it's interesting we can talk about that for a moment. The dot, of course, they actually spread um, dry fertilizer on. Um, 40 acres there right. that day. They had a path that they did. Austin and I got a little close. I ended up having a lot of that dry fertilizer, let's say in the cuffs of my pants. Let's go with that for a moment. <laughs> uh, that's, that's clear enough, I think. I mean, I think later when I took my shirt off in the hotel room, there was stuff dropping on the floor. But the interesting thing about that is that it ran on its own. It's a cartridge system. So what that means is it can. it's basically a power unit that can wrap around something that's specially built for it like that um spreader uh that uh, came from that that's a high-end spreader the broadcast spreader but they also have a, a sprayer that works with that unit and i think some other things are working on raven owns that company now raven also has a smart cart we did not see that at fpvx which is the uh, auto steering tractor but yeah autonomy is coming along um well, i've covered some stuff recently there's an electric tractor that was introduced it's mostly for the california row crop uh, vineyard market excuse me not row crop it's up to it's a 40 horsepower it's a bigger deal uh can provide power like an atv for welding um, it's called the monarch tractor they're going to start selling them in 2021 the interesting thing about this electric tractor is it can be run in an autonomous mode so say you've got to mow hillsides in wet weather and you don't want to risk a guy on the thing you just put the mower on this tractor and let it go and it'll do it. So we're rethinking equipment in new ways. I think what was interesting to me as I was doing all those interviews was that um, innovation is alive and well in the short line companies in this country, and they're busy. Um, I ran across a little welding shop out of Nebraska, I think, or Kansas, BB's Welding, and he actually built a center fill a conversion for planters. And the interesting thing about it is it will lower itself to the ground so you can just step up a little bit to load it rather than climbing up on the planter to load it. So that was an innovation he came up with. And I thought that was very interesting. And it's just really fun to see uh, innovation at work with these companies. Yes, it is. And I guess to go back uh, to the autonomous thing, there's still yeah. issues that have to be worked out. But um, because like you're talking about you know, laughing about yellow close and got some fertilizer on here. They're going to do what they're supposed to do. And then some of them have safety things built in where if they had actually got too close to a physical object, most of those usually have a stop, but it's, you know, you were the, you were too close. It was where it was supposed to be. And I think that it's going to take a lot of us, uh, you know, there's going to be this big debate about, uh, in fact, I just had it with the uh, Jim Beatty, uh, the superintendent of the Purdue farm, the agronomy farm who's been there 34 years is retiring at here at the end of 2020 
but we were talking about this and you know well will the future be even bigger tractors or will it be a bunch of little autonomous swarm type farming with things that don't even look like tractors and think it could go either way so but uh yeah there's still 2020 didn't it may have may have uh, slowed the number of innovations but there's still people out there looking ahead it didn't stop that right and i think that the other thing that's interesting is that there's just so much technology in the stuff we own already and we're learning to leverage all that in in 2021 with new additions and software upgrades and things we i never thought truly that i would talk about software upgrades to a combine or software upgrades to a tractor you know right. i always think a tractor is just muscle but today you know we need to upgrade the software so that it can talk better to the planter i just hooked up to it or it can link up with a third party sprayer or spreader that needs to be precision applied so i know where everything went i mean these um, tools are just getting, they're more fun. And uh, yet we, we talk about innovation and we step back and we talk about, um, I think there was a, a small company, they have a new um, bale handler, you know, just a, you know, one of those things you put on a flatbed of a small, of a pickup truck or a truck right. that you can pick up round bales. Well, they have a high end one. Well, this year their answer was to launch one that was a little detuned costs a little less, but still does a lot of the main things you want to do when you're bringing bales out to the field to feed cattle. So I think that we're looking at ways to innovate, uh, not just by adding electronics and technology or taking the driver out of the cab, but how do I look at this product and say, my market has changed or there are smaller farmers that want this kind of tool. Can I make something for them that will work? And uh, all that stuff's on that website. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, there's uh, even, uh, I think it's uh, Crary, C-R-A-R-Y. Yep. Uh, they come out with a uh, a new kind of sickle tooth, uh, a tooth basically, or a section with different mm -hmm. type of teeth to to handle the better handle the uh, greener like soybean stalks and today the what we have today some of the high yield varieties that don't uh, they'll have dried beans and still have green stalks and you know it's a uh, they call it their golden cut and. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a sickle section, but it's a it's innovation. It's a different design and it does a different task and uh, little things like that. People are are still paying attention to, and it just makes makes life easier for in today's conditions. You know, we've been using sickle sections on a lot of things for a very long time, and it's very interesting how someone like Crary can come along and say, well. Look at these green beans. We can cut these better. And so I think right. that, and that broadens that for any head being used in canola or other crops like that that are often harvested a little greener than you'd really want to. So right. <laughs> that's pretty interesting. Um, anything else? We're going into 2021. I think we're going to see more autonomy at work. I think uh, that's going to be interesting. Um, anything that's on your radar that you're talking about or looking at in 2021? Well, I think um, the last few months uh more is coming out of there's still companies and some of them are are international based companies that are on the in the herbicide market looking at stuff like with the artificial intelligence to set up systems that will uh see basically see weeds and only spray the weed and spray it with the right chemical john deere has one that they're working with uh, there's some other companies that have different a different design that maybe would fit with other equipments already out there but 
they're not on the market, but they're still they're they're more than just a pipe dream. They're there's really they're starting to work with them. Uh, and I think I'm not sure it'll happen in 2021, but I think there's uh, maybe a future for some of that. And uh, weed control is probably is is going to change, continue to change um, and not just the the new herb products that we can new types of genetics that are tolerant to herbicides for soybeans. But I think also in application methods, there's some companies come out with new nozzles. Um, I think that's an area that the weeds are changing and uh, have figured out how to adapt. And so now the industry and farmers are coming back and figuring out how to adapt as well. And I think a lot is going to go on along that line. And some of it may be, uh, I know you've covered quite a bit, but from the air with the drones, a drone mm-hmm. application is a, uh, yeah, it's, it may not be for everybody yet, but it, it's certainly moving toward reality, at least on a custom basis. Yeah, I think so. And I think that there's going to be more information to make crop scouting more efficient. Um, maybe not save so much time, but make sure the time applied is better so that I can identify those areas with that hyperspectral imagery from a drone that says, hey, you know, you really need to go to this corner of the field and do something. You know what I mean? And right. I see that value. The sprayers, you know, we're talking about the potential with something like sea and spray that Deer has or the technology that Zarbio and Bosch are working on that you could get 100% weed control with 60 to 70% less product applied. I mean, right. that's the kind of technology we're talking about. And no, it's not ready yet. It's I got buzz when I was at CES in January of 2020 this year that um, that the sea and spray technology was on a commercial sprayer at Deer and they were still testing it, but they were comfortable with the fact that it was going to be commercially available soon with Deer. That could be in three years. I don't know. Uh, right. The Zarvio, the Zarvio boss deal, they've got a nozzle that will apply any up uh, many kinds of technology and then many kinds of herbicide at one time so you'd have like five or six tanks maybe on a sprayer and then the nozzle would know what the weed is and spray the right chemical and they're working on that and they're going to have that in brazil this year testing it in some areas um, and then that would look to coming into this country in 2022 or 2023 um, when i first saw that nozzle at agrotechnica uh, the comment was that it was slow it, it, but uh, they tell me, Zarvio, which is a part of BASF, tells me they've really increased the speed of the artificial intelligence to, to know what it's spraying. So that's the trick. How fast can you process and how fast is the cloud? Right. And, and so it comes down to all those kinds of tools. Again, things that you and I never thought we'd talk about, um, which is interesting in itself. <laughs> right. No, we'd, uh, and that's, uh, again, that came up yesterday when I was interviewing. Uh, the agronomy farm at Purdue, which yeah. has become a major research area with their uh, really globally with their Indiana Corn and Soybean Phenotype Center, it's only had two farm managers since 1949. Wow. That's over 70 years. And the, the technology that's changed it's, uh, over those 70 years is just unbelievable. And the farm has adapted as well to... Uh, you know, to, it's still a research facility. They do, they still do, you know, almost microscopic breeding, but they also do larger uh, field scale research today. And they can do that with precision technology. They have uh, an area where they have solar panels and they farm under them, under the crops. 
at a research scale. They're trying to figure out which panels work best and that kind of stuff to capture solar energy without having the whole solar farm uh, take up the whole field and you can't grow anything else. So, um, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of technology that's on the edge. Some of it will pan out, some of it won't, but um, I think the future may be like 2020, Willie. I think we, we don't want to say never anymore. <laughs> no, we don't. You know, it's interesting. You bring the comment up about solar panels. There was a story just recently on the news about a cranberry operation that put in solar panels on some of the farm, and they're looking at farming underneath the panels. And I always kind of wondered, why do those panels have to be so low to the ground? Why they can't they be fit, why can't they be 20 feet in the air and then I can farm under them? The shade may be an issue, but it's great for pasture and cattle. And what cow doesn't like shade? So well, yeah, that's some opportunity. The guys at Purdue and part of it is it got an international international flair. I think cooperation, cooperative research, but mm-hmm. they're growing corn under it. And uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's uh, a knob. Well, it's not a novelty, but it, it's not ready for prime time. But it's also not just something to think will never happen. I, I'm not going to count them out. No, but I tell you what, I think you and I need to plan a, a trip. I need to meet you at that farm and we should take a walk around. I want to see what they're up to. I think that'd be a lot of fun for the two of us to explore the farm with the new manager next year. What do you think? Yeah, they're, uh, that would be good when we get when uh, when they uh, have, get to that point. There's a lot of different things happening there and, yeah. and at other university farms around the country. University research is still is still got a, a I think a big role to play. So well, I think it's a very important role and I we want to keep promoting that. Well, Tom Beckman, Indiana Prairie Farmer, it's been great talking to you, sir. Um, happy New Year. Looking forward to 2021. I really am. You know that. Uh, <laughs> after 2020. And we will see you sometime in the near future, sir. Take care. Thank you, Willie. I thank Shelley Hughley, Jennifer Keel, and Tom Beckman for their help with today's episode. I'm very lucky to be working with one of the most experienced teams covering agriculture in the country and wish all of them a happy new year. I know there will be plenty to write about in 2021, and I look forward to reading everyone's work and perhaps talking to them about it in the podcast. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team and experts in our industry. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands as well as farm futures, beef, national hog farmer and feedstuffs, and the new Farm Progress virtual experience. If you didn't tune into the premiere of the Farm Progress virtual experience, no problem. You can still visit the site to see more. Just visit farmprogressshow.com for a direct connection to the virtual event. It's worth a look. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.